Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. Today is Tuesday, January 26th, and true story, true life, one Michigan State Spartan will be getting a Super Bowl ring this year, John. Which one do you think it will be, Le'Veon Bell or William Golston? Mm, great question. I will mm-hmm. go with. Thank you. I will go with Le'Veon Bell. I know it's sacrilege to bet against uh, the goat Tom Brady, but let's let's call it. There's a new there's a new goat in town, maybe. I mean, it's the only you know young Patrick Mahomes has uh, made three. What is it? He's he's made two Super Bowls before the age of 26. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you, even though I'm not sure he even suited up for the AFC Championship game. I think Le'Veon is probably going to be the one that walks away with a ring. But pretty cool for William Golston to be on the first uh, home team to ever play or first team to ever play a home game in the Super Bowl in Tampa. So um, pretty just like fitting that Tom Brady is the quarterback that does that. Like, I don't know. I'm uh, I just don't know anymore. I'm ready for the Tom Brady era to be over, John. That's how I feel. You and the rest of the NFL. Oh, so man. I think I think it's also funny that we just blasted through how we didn't make a podcast last week. Oh, last yeah. Week, <laughs> we, we were postponed, not canceled. Um, right. <laughs> we were not canceled. Uh, you know, you could I could see how people might think that. Uh, but like the basketball team, we were postponed ourselves. Uh, because frankly, we just didn't want to speculate on what was happening next with Michigan State. Uh, taking a little breather in the hoops realm. Um, but, but, but as you mentioned, football still trudging forward. You had another piece of football news, um, NFL related, though. Yeah, former Spartans really making moves all over the place. Uh, former Michigan State DB, uh, Ronaldo Hill was hired as the Los Angeles Chargers. Never going to get used to saying that. Um, defensive coordinator was formerly, I believe their secondary coach. And, uh, they hired a brand new, um, head coach, the former defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. So he doesn't even have to move. I mean, I'm sure he could with the new salary and everything, but Brent, I believe his name is Brendan Staley, but he's, uh, bringing Ronaldo Hill over with him. And I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's pretty awesome. There's, there's only a hand, I mean, there's how many 64 total, uh, coordinator yeah. jobs in the world, in you know, professional in the world. Um, so pretty awesome that the former Spartan is uh, has got one of them. Here's a scenario for you. Are you ready? Are you sitting I'm down ready. for this one? I'm always sitting. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> the year is 2024. Mel Tucker has has left for Tuscaloosa to take over. <laughs> Nick Saban's position as he has retired. Uh, the new Michigan State head coach candidates include Ronaldo Hill. How do we feel? Uh, listen, I, first of all, if Mel Tucker is getting hired to do anything in Tuscaloosa, it means either things have gone extremely well or extremely poorly. Because if he's replacing Saban, obviously he's done some things very, very, very well in East Lansing. Uh, but if he's one of his coordinators, then he's going to career rehab, which is where all of the other coordinators he's ever had are going. I mean, Sark, uh, what they just hired. Um, Kip, yeah, I mean, Kiffin. The, there are so many examples. They just hired uh, 
the old Penn State and Texans coach, Bill O'Brien. Oh, I mean, yep. yeah, there, there's no end to this list. So, listen, he's going to Tuscaloosa. It's it's one end of the spectrum or the other. Let's let's play the fun game and say yep. that he's going there to replace Saban. Sure. Um, you can do a lot worse than a young, successful defensive coordinator from the NFL. I mean, that is honestly, in a lot of ways, Mel Tucker and uh, mm-hmm. an alum is always appreciated. So. Um, the beauty of that would be Hill would be inheriting apparently a very well-oiled machine. So okay. I'm, uh, I'm into it. Follow-up question to t- this 2024 scenario. Who does Michigan State hire at quarterbacks coach? Kirk Cousins or Connor Cook? Oh, there's no wrong answer to this question. Um, <laughs> the wrong answer. There's absolutely a wrong answer. Uh, but, I mean, I'm going to – I'll put it this way. I'm going to imagine Connor has a little more availability. Then Kirk probably will at that point in time. And um, need for salary, sure. Yeah, you know, it might be a little more pressing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that would be pretty pretty sweet. Listen, is, hire Andrew Maxwell for all I care. Sometimes bad quarterbacks make good coaches. Sure. No, that's a good call. My, I, w- I was, to be clear, hoping well, the wrong answer would be to hire Kirk Cousins. <laughs> you need swag back there, folks. Uh, you, true. You need to have slight Archie Griven levels of arrogance <laughs> in the pocket. And muscle. No time for the only two-time Heisman win. No time. <laughs> okay, so that was a fun game that usually is reserved for, for the summer. So actual events that did take place, though, in the uh, coaching world for Michigan State – Mike Tressel, uh, secondaries coach last year, he is moving on to, I think it's a mutually uh, beneficial opportunity for both parties. How do you feel about this when he went yeah, to Cincinnati? So, yep. So, yeah, he is actually going much like, you know, Mark D'Antonio coached at Michigan State and then went to Cincinnati and then came back to Michigan State. Mike Trestle's kind of doing the opposite because I'm 99% sure he was on D'Antonio's staff at Cincinnati way back when and is now uh, going back there as the defensive coordinator. Formerly, um, I think he was the assistant, like, DB's coach last year. But, I mean, for a guy like Mike Trestle, I think it is a fantastic move for him professionally, and I'm very happy to see him get this opportunity. I mean, you know, I think he was an incredible sport and really did was a very good um, ambassador for the program. Like, really clearly put Michigan State University before his own career last year when he, you know, took that huge step down, you know, from defensive coordinator and associate head coach down to that lesser position. Um, when frankly, I don't think anybody would have blamed him for just out and out leaving because he was among the very short list of people that, you know, was presumed to maybe get a shot at being the head coach. I mean, I think if Mark D'Antonio would have had it his way, that probably is how this whole thing would have played out. So um, yeah. I'm sure that he's getting another, option, or another opportunity at a place that it's not like Cincinnati is some scrub school now. Like they, they were BCS or I'll always call it the BCS. They were CFP contenders this year. And um, listen, I think I think it's great for both parties. And and probably uh, this coming year too. They're bringing a lot of the yeah. or stud players are deciding to come back. I, I do want to note, you know, if you think you had a tough 2020, Mike Dressel went from, to your point, kind of believing that he, as you, as you said, was a front runner for the head coach position at Michigan State to yeah, assisting the secondaries and. And after doing nothing wrong, you know, like right. it's not like he had like a bad year or, you know, like it just the circumstances played out really shitty for him. So he's he's got, you know, this is a you know, move in the direction he is hoping for, probably for a head coaching gig one day. Um, and and uh, we hope the best for him. But that does mean that there is an opening on the Mel Tucker staff. This will be the first time he's had to plug a hole and um, there are a handful of options. Yeah. So the, the open position is essentially who, who is going to be the DB's coach. I know Harlan Barnett is back there uh, as well. So it, I guess it's unclear as to exactly if he might reconstruct the staff, but you have to think that 
you know, if, if Mel Tucker's out there recruiting for somebody to come on board, it's probably someone to fill the quote unquote DB's coach role. Now there are, um, at this point on the message boards, a handful of names that people want to see considered. Uh, and then maybe some that people haven't been talked about as much that are, are definitely options here. So, uh, I've got three that I picked out Two, you know, kind of like the, the dream scenario, the more achievable scenario, and then probably a sleeper that, that maybe I haven't, at least certainly I haven't heard many people talk about it at all. But the dream scenario, I think, is Steve Klinkscale, who is uh, Kentucky's defensive backs coach. Um, MSU, Michigan, among other teams, have tried to lure him away because he is a part of the great recruiting presence that Kentucky has established in the state of Michigan. Um, they've done a great job under call it the last five years. I mean, it's been some time now uh, stealing some really good kids out of the state. They did it just a year ago. Um, and, and I know they've gotten a handful of four stars. And honestly, from the state of Michigan, those are not in the same sort of supply that they are in a place like uh, Florida, Texas, California. So uh, to steal one of them uh, is, is a greater impact. So um, Clink Scale, you know, is probably going to command a pretty significant salary, one that likely outweighs his current salary at Kentucky. And on top of that, you know, you'd have to think that he might actually be interested in a coordinator position or an assistant head coach type of position or something like that. I don't know that MSU is in the position to offer that to him. And I don't know if they're in the position to hand out the bag to a defensive backs coach um, after all the money they spent last year. I can't confirm or deny any of that. It's just kind of my two cents. So as much as that would be a home run hire and very in line with the type of hires that Tucker has made, I don't necessarily see that one getting done. Now, maybe the, Another hot name is Archie Collins. Uh, you guys, you old heads here may remember Archie Collins, uh, former Michigan State defensive back. Um, wasn't he? Yeah, he was MSU defensive back. Uh, and then he coached at Central Michigan um, and ended up going to uh, Pitt with Narduzzi, uh, Pat Narduzzi, who was obviously the head coach there and um, has been coaching his secondary for uh, three years now. So uh, obviously the MSU alum angle here is, is very attractive. He's a younger guy. Um, he's got that relationship with MSU. Uh, I'm sure Narduzzi would refer him very well to Michigan State, especially if he got a chance um, at some type of promotion. But again, he is a DB's coach. He'd be a lateral move, albeit to the Big Ten. Um, but still, probably a guy who's, who's relatively satisfied with where he is or doesn't want to move may not want to move because of uh you know not getting a promotion now there is one sleeper name that honestly i just you know i was out here doing the whole pepe sylvia thing trying to figure out who the hell could they (laughs) hire if it's not one of these two names and one name off of the current staff actually jumped out at me and that is um travaris tillman now you again some Big time football heads may remember Travaris Tillman as a cornerback uh, in the NFL during the 2000s. Um, more recently, he has been with Mel Tucker for a little while now. He was uh, Tucker's defensive backs coach at Colorado and came with him to East Lansing last year as a senior defensive assistant. Now, th- this one to me, again, no no idea if there's any greens to any of this, but I'm just trying to piece some things together here. It would make sense to bring him on. Um, he's been with Tucker. So he, he obviously has a familiarity with the staff. He's got that credibility as a former and a good NFL defensive back and would be getting some type of promotion uh, up into a defensive backs coach position from the senior defensive assistant position. Um, don't know much about what he does from a recruiting perspective, but I would think that the continuity plus the opportunity would make him, um, you know, at least somebody that I'm sure they're talking to about about the the role. So uh, there might be other names out there, but Clinkscale, Collins, and Tillman to me are probably the three you'll either hear about the most or hear more about upcoming uh, in the future. So interesting names. Um, and yeah, clearly not a lot going on in the MSU world right now. We're talking about rehiring the defensive backs coach. Well, well, you just you hit on something is you know what we don't know is is his uh, recruiting acumen, but that has been um, the focal point for Mel Tucker, and he recently was talking about um, the the transfer portal and how 
while it's a, a new world for us as Michigan State fans, uh, it's not so so new to the entire world, but the gravity of it has grown so much. Um, so we're coming in uh, as a time where it has become so, um, so much easier to transfer. Uh, there are less restrictions against it. And so you're seeing um, a lot more folks uh, take take a crack at it. And Mel Tucker had some thoughts on it. I know you dug up a quote. Do you want to lean into that and tell, tell us a little bit about his um, his strategy with it? Yeah. So uh, Mel Tucker did like a YouTube um, you know, virtual presser last week when the um, – the mid-year enrollees, so all the transfers, uh, you know, Anthony Russo, Kenneth Walker, Harold Joyner, all those guys officially got to East Lansing and became part of the team. It is sort of like a mini signing day presser. And, and one of the things that, that popped out at me I thought was really interesting was this quote. We had to restructure our personnel department to account for the new landscape in recruiting, Tucker said. Because of the new recruiting rules and transfer rules, players can transfer from schools and be eligible immediately. I don't know if he's right about this, but he says there are more than 10,000 guys in the portal right now. I don't think that's mathematically possible, but, and there are five to 10 guys that go into uh, the portal every day. So we modeled our personnel department like we had it in the NFL. In the NFL, you have the college side and the pro side for free agency purposes. We've done the same thing here. I thought what was really insightful here is that it shows you something that I think we've already been able to to parse out from from his regime so far and mel's going to take this thing seriously i mean i don't think this one year blip or this this first year uh going really heavy and in, in using that portal quite uh you know intently uh is is going to be a one-year thing i think this is going to be maybe not to the extent that he's used it so far where he's gotten five guys that are probably all starters um but I would imagine that Tucker is going to look to the portal to add to his team just about every single year. Maybe it's just one or two guys once the team's a little bit better that are kind of the, the final pieces or, you know, maybe next year it's another batch of starters. But I think what's really cool is that he's clearly thinking about the way he's assembling his roster in a much more modern sense than uh, we're used to at Michigan State. Um, and not only are they thinking of it that way, but they're building their infrastructure to match. I think, you know, Obviously, the previous regime was not built that way. They were. It's. It's almost like if you look at, um, like NFL front offices. Like one is, some are really focused on building through the back part of the draft. Some are really focused on building through free agency, and maybe they don't spend their resources on those other fields as often. Mm-hmm. It seems like these guys are really sort of splitting it down the middle and say, hey, we we are legitimately going to use both of these avenues to build our roster. And I think that's a really modern approach. It's one that could yield a pretty high impact pretty quickly. Um, and it's probably the fastest way to just generally increase the talent level on your roster, which is something that MSU desperately needs to do. So I think it's cool. I think it's a great, um, exciting approach. And I hope it's something that, you know, listen, if Ronaldo Hill is coming in in three years or whatever happens, that this can remain part of the way that Michigan State um, puts together their team. Yeah, I think you'll see um, it start to ramp up one way or the other, um, at, depending on how the classes come in. You know, you lean a little heavier on the transfer portal um, when you when you need to plus up um, play right away. You, you kind of look at the transfer portal as, for the lack of a better word, um, plug and play. And, you know, how many of them are going to be all conference? Probably not too many. Um, it, that's a big ask. Uh, but but at the same time, um, you, there, there are certainly plenty of capable um, Big Ten starters. And you're, you're probably going to see that uh, with what Michigan State's pulled together so far. As as Michigan State continues to recruit and if they get to the level of recruiting um, the high school ball the way Mel Tucker uh, has his vision, uh, then you're probably going to see a little less focus on the transfer portal. And not as much need on it, therefore not as many resources against it, and more resources towards high school as you built a solid pipeline within your program. So, you know, either way, uh, we're going to see it ramp up or down, depending on how these next recruiting classes come in. But um, as we've seen a couple guys go out, um, you wanted to touch on how um, a handful have have gone to Power 5 programs. Yeah, one thing we... uh... But just to expound on your point, I think you're absolutely right. Like if you think of it, you know, you have uh, your resources are this finite amount, right? For recruit, for how you're going to build your roster, there's a scale of one to 100. You know, some years it might be more 2080 focused towards 
you know, 20% going towards the portal, 80% going towards just going out there and recruiting not only this class, but class in the future. And to that point, I saw MSU extended an offer to a kid from 2024 today, which doesn't even sound like Mm -hmm. a real year to me, but um, (laughs) they're clearly doing this like with a little bit more foresight. And yeah, obviously that scale is going to shift. But I think this part, the transfer portal is, is not just going to be something that other people participate in it. I think MSU is going to be really active in it, uh, which is, which is a nice nod to the future. But to that point, Obviously, MSU's brought in uh, five players from this transfer portal. Uh, a few things to point out, not only about the kids going out, but one of the kids coming in, I read something interesting that apparently, and Mel Tucker said this as well, Jarrett Horst, um, the offensive tackle from Arkansas State, who had those offers from all over the country, apparently chose Michigan State over Oklahoma. Like head-to-head, it was those were the two finals, and he ended up wanting to come to Michigan State. Hmm. I think that says everything everything about the program Mel Tucker is putting together because he was able to convince a kid not to go to a school that is a perennial, perennial playoff contender. I mean, it, that gets, that puts offensive linemen into the NFL on a year in and year out basis. That's the kids probably would be able to go there and win the big 12. I mean, he convinced someone to come to Michigan state over that because of the promise and the opportunity, obviously opportunity plays into that because of the promise of, of the program. Uh, so I think that really speaks to the type of recruiting power that uh, Tucker has and their ability to identify talent. I mean, this kid's from Arkansas State. It's not mm-hmm. like he's a, a transfer from another big-time program. Um, Oklahoma actually then went out and got an offensive tackle from Tennessee last mm-hmm. week. So um, but plan B being you know, a Tennessee kid tells you that th- this Arkansas State guy, Horst, is a pretty good player. But in terms of the guys going out, one of the things we had talked about uh, one or two episodes ago was that a lot of the players that were leaving were going down to MAC and uh, Group of Five conference teams. Really, the best team that we had seen anybody go to was probably Julian Barnett and Demonte Dobbs heading to Memphis. Well, since then, three players uh, that have entered the portal have ended up at Power Five teams. The, the first being Luke Fulton, who the linebacker who actually ended up transferring to Kentucky. So uh, some some maybe some tea leaves being read there. Um, defensive back Chris Jackson ended up going out to Washington State. So just went as far away from East Lansing <laughs> as possible. And then finally, uh, Max Rosenthal, the fullback, ended up going to Illinois. A very fun tie-in there. It, or an interesting one is that, you know, MSU doesn't, they're not going to use the fullback anymore. I think we've, we've moved on from, from that position, oh, which is sad. Shame. It's just sad. Shame. It's sad. However, you may remember. However. Brett Bielema. Uh-oh. Large and in charge is now large and in charge of the Illinois football program. And Max Rosenthal, fullback, not surprising. Where do you go when you know you need a role somewhere? You go to play for the guy who will absolutely use a fullback in Brett Bielema. Yes, man. Wow. I'm surprised we didn't do an emergency pod that Bert warranted one. Uh, Honestly, it it, it probably deserved one. I feel like I maybe let some people down, not talking about Bert's enormous orange smock that he is sure to wear uh, earlier. It's really sort of just like a, a hunter's tent. You know, like <laughs> that he just goes out and goes to uh, the Cabela's and he's like, give me one of those orange tents. I'm yeah. going to be needing it for my Do you have any e- extra street cone material that you could turn into something I can wear? Um, yeah, man, it's uh, they're going to run out of orange fabric and champagne before too long, but I'm thrilled to have him back in the big tent. How excited are you for a game I, I just normally can't get myself up for, and I, and I like to watch almost every Big Ten football game, but Wisconsin-Illinois, usually oh. an afterthought, but oh boy, this year. Man, I am <laughs> excited. Excited isn't even the word. I mean, the, the, the amount of punt yardage that is surely going to be racked up in that game, it, it might set some records. We just don't know. But uh, we are going to see some throwback offense. I'm I'm giddy. Not, but uh, key key word is not throw though. A lot of oh, run back. <laughs> oh man! So that takes us through uh, football updates. 
Uh, should we take a break and then jump into what we hope to be is the the second half of the uh, basketball season? Yeah, we yeah, yeah. All right. All right, here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. Okay. So uh, I guess. So since we've last spoken, there are three games that have been canceled uh, due to COVID sicknesses within the Michigan State program. Um, we What we know is Maddie Sissoko and Steven Izzo um, were sick. And then a few other names f- were floated out that were on the, the support staff. I believe Tum Tum Nairn was actually one of them. And uh, Davis Smith, I believe, uh, walk on also was diagnosed with COVID-19. So, um, yeah, the game at Iowa, uh, the 17th against Indiana, and then the 23rd against Illinois, all um, postponed and un- unknown how, if any of these will be able to be rescheduled as um, we're running into, well, we're running out of real estate here as we, as we um, barrel toward uh, what we hope to be is the NCAA tournament this year. One thing to consider, and I, <laughs> who knows if this is going to happen, but one thing to consider is there, there are um, a couple of dates available that were built into the schedule, but not too many. Uh, where where teams could reschedule and play. But the other one to consider is the Big Ten doesn't necessarily have to play a um, Big Ten tournament. And it might actually be smart to not play one, if only because you start to think about um, a worst-case scenario where teams are playing back-to-back-to-back days and there were shoot, I don't know, you know, some fault, you know, people tested negative and then they weren't. And now all of a sudden the whole comp mm-hmm. is sick going into the NCAA tournament and they can't play. So I just wonder if there's any sort of thought about, you know, what if we just cancel the tournament and, you know, now we have two more games, you know, a midweek and a weekend to make up some games that need to be played. I, I've got to think that that's got to be on the, on the uh, table right now. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, a, a any type of tournament, I think, as we saw with the preseason, it, it's going to be very difficult to pull off. Uh, I mean, with no ability to quarantine beforehand, no ability to obviously accurate, accurately test with any degree of certainty um, ahead of time, especially if you're making up games right before. I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be a, a tall task. And I think there, there is part of it from a um, optics standpoint or from a, if you're the big 10 conference and you want to make sure you get the most amount of teams in there. Um, there is something to be said for canceling those games and honestly making the regular season, the most important part, because it's very possible. I mean, that, that, that a team that's on the bubble loses their first game of the big 10 tournament. And that's what kicks them out. And it, whereas I think if you had a team that's on the bubble and they're from a very strong big 10, they're probably going to get the benefit of the doubt over another conference, especially this year when the big 10 is so strong. Um, well, I, I want to expound on that this year, more than any year in the past, you're going to see more power five teams or teams that bring a ton of eyeballs. So yep. You know, the Indianas, the Michigan States, while they may have been even more on the bubble than in years past, the NCAA is in such a hole uh, financially for not having the tournament last year. They need every eyeball possible to help with revenue. So and you don't get those. And this isn't fair. I'm not saying it's right. And it it sucks. But unfortunately, uh, you don't get eyeballs. Um, with, with at-large teams that that are from group, you know, small, mid-major, even low-major conferences that maybe even deserve it. Um, it's just it's a it's a dollars game, and I think you're just going to see a lot of Power Five bubble teams this year for that specific reason. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot. Uh, there's a very, very real business side to this. Now, I think if if this is the only season that had been affected by COVID-19, you know, you, maybe you get some some mm-hmm. some less of that. But listen, you lost a tournament last year. Mm-hmm. That is an insane amount of money. If you're wondering how much some of these contracts mean to networks, look at NBC Sports right now. They're going to lose the Olympics. It's not official yet, but they're going to lose the Olympics, and it's going to cause them to shut down a network, a national network, an NBC Sports Network, which has an NHL contract, which has NASCAR, which has live sports. Uh, They're going to have to shut it down because they're missing out on the Olympics. Now, it's not an exact comparison, obviously, but – you know, at the March Madness is probably the closest thing you're going to get uh, from multi-week type of experience to the Olympics. And, you know, to consider that you're looking at, I don't, I'm not, I suppose it would, this year's would probably draw as many eyeballs as a normal one. I don't see why it wouldn't. There's no point in taking that risk if you are uh, a network or if you have, if you are the NCAA, who ultimately is the one that takes home the most chunk of this money, like the, they want the best, even if it's not the best product, they want the most recognizable names out there. Listen, precedent, I think we learned when the Big Ten football championship game was getting decided. Precedent does not matter. Nothing matters this year. Dollars and eyeballs and brand is the own that is chief among everything else that matters. So I'm sorry if it's, you know, um, like you said, John, like a like a coastal Carolina or some small like if it's St. Mary's versus Michigan State, even if St. Mary's has three more wins and a one better win, yeah, I don't care. Does not matter. If Michigan State's going to end up getting that. Same with Indiana. They, I mean, these are the brands that people are going to tune in to watch because they're the ones with the alumni bases. That's just plain and simple. So um, it, it's again to your point, it's wrong. It's not right. It's definitely shitty for the teams that are going to inevitably get screwed by this line of thinking. But it's it's not surprising. And selfishly, as Michigan State fans, um, it, poten- it has a potential to work out. It has a potential to literally save Michigan State's season. Like it, it's, and we are at the point now. We're sitting at eight and four. Potentially, if you're not able to reschedule these three games against Iowa, Indiana, and Illinois, or the game against Michigan, which is already postponed despite being on February 6th, assuming let's just play this out. Worst case scenario, you lose those four games. You have 10 remaining games now with no other postponements or cancellations potentially taken into effect. You've only got 10 games left. You've only got eight wins going into those 10 games. Mm-hmm. It's coming down to it. And if Michigan State goes any worse than seven and three in that span, like if they go six and four and they're sitting at four, 14 and eight, uh, potentially with no big 10 tournament, like you need your brand to be what saves you. That is ultimately going to be the only thing that could like in a doomsday scenario could be the, the, the last hope for Michigan state keeping their tournament streak alive. I mean, it's, it's very possible. So, you know, sure. the, the way that this plays out to me is going to be, to be fascinating. And it certainly puts, uh, added emphasis on every single game that that MSU is going to play, no matter how many it is. So we'll see, you know, about rescheduling these games. But you know, you mentioned uh, the games Michigan State's played so far. Their best wins um, ever since we we were with you are not good anymore. Maybe they were correct. At point, but Duke and the Rutgers win had a little shine at the time, and now um, that shine has worn off. And you know. Michigan State will pick back up with Rutgers on the 28th, and it'll be the first game in 20 games, excuse me, first game in 20 days. Uh, Rutgers was on a five-game slide, and, you know, it was really surprising to me, and, you know, people can can kind of laugh at me because I was a little high on Rutgers, but the reason I was high on them is for the, the most shocking reason to me that they lost five games. They're all upperclassmen. And it just was shocking to me that they were losing um, games in the manner which they were losing, especially when you have a team that um, is so um, seasoned. So they they had a skid. They did bounce back uh, this weekend with a win at Indiana um, that will help them as they are, you know, striving to make the tournament for gosh, the first time in a very long time in in Piscataway. But you know, you know the story about Rutgers. It hasn't changed. Um, since we talked to you last time, um, it's it's the Ron Harper and, and Young show. 
You know, they, that backcourt gets buckets. Uh, Michigan State did a nice job last time on them and, and held um, Young to, to a non-breakout game, the Achilles heel of Michigan State this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they go with any other type of um, line rotation lineup than they did last time because it worked so well. The reason I question it is because you may remember that rotation was thrown out against Purdue um, for question reasons unknown. So I, I would like to think that you have the blueprint. You won by 20 against this team. You probably probably just see if they run it back. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get to say, hey, change this from the last time you played them when you held their two biggest scorers, you know, almost 10 points below their season averages and had them shoot, you know, 33% from the field. You don't want to mess with it too much. The thing that I'm really more interested to see is how MSU looks after a three-week, you know, uh, hiatus, just basically a pause in the middle of the season and not necessarily a pause that is like, okay, now we have three weeks to get out and practice and work on our sets. I mean, we have no idea what amount of practice they were able to get in, who was necessarily available for all of it. Um, the one thing that we know that they can or could have done the entire time is watch film and think about rotations and things like that. And it's not just the players, it's the coaches as well. Um, I think what'll be fascinating is is to just to see how they look. If anything is done differently, again to your point, like you don't say, "Hey, you know, redo everything because you did beat this particular team by uh, quite a bit." But even so, uh, you know, you have to chalk some of that up to just a bad shooting night from their two best players, and you, you may not get that same luck in in game two. So, what are you going to do to make sure that? if they come out and shoot 50% instead of 33%, that you're going to be able to cover your ass and, and still win that game. Um, it, and I, I'm just not sure how that looks. I think if I remember correctly, again, I apologize if I'm wrong about this, but I saw Josh Langford may have been one of the guys to get COVID. Um, that's a big player. It's one of the only guys on the team who can get his own shot. Obviously a starter, a guy who plays a lot of minutes uh, and one of the three best shooters on the team, maybe two, maybe one. Um, so you might not get a full version of, of Josh Langford. And um, what does the rust look like? I mean, this is already, you know, especially if Langford's not 100%. This already isn't a good shooting team. This already isn't a team that can't create a ton for themselves. So what are what is Tom Izzo going to do? What is the you know coaching staff going to do to put their players in better positions to win this game? Because this is no longer um, just a game against Rutgers again. I think when you go back and look at the games that were canceled, this game takes on even more importance. Every game takes on even more importance, again, not only because there's only potentially 10 left, but you if those four games are canceled, you lost three opportunities to beat ranked teams. Now, the flip side of that is you had three opportunities where you could have lost those games, but you need to take those chances. You need those ranked wins on your schedule or, or, or ranked, even good losses, for that matter, Um to not have those opportunities makes winning every single game even more important. So I, I'll be interested to see what kind of urgency they come out with, what type of focus, what type of, I mean, if they got their legs under them, you know, this is, this is an unprecedented type of opportunity that they find themselves with. And that's to, to take time off and get away from the court uh, at a time when honestly, they probably needed it more than any other um, three weeks to just stew on that horrendous loss to Purdue you'll find out a lot about what this team is made of. I mean, did that tank them? Are they able to overcome this? Are we going to get mad at them if they can't overcome this? You know, um, I just think it's, it's almost like a totally unprecedented, no, it is a totally unprecedented situation and uh, how they bounce back is going to be a big testament, not only to the, you know, the integrity of the team, but the integrity of the coaching staff. So I think you're going to see a completely different Rutgers team than we did last time. Now, same rotations, but when I say that, I, I would hedge my bets that Rutgers has everyone's full attention right now. Hey, dog. Is full, everyone's full attention right now. Um, they have, they they went on a little bit of that that streak of losing streak. And I, and I wanna say that they weren't maybe feeling the pressure when coming into East Lansing. They had just taken Iowa to the brink and lost by two. They probably weren't feeling, you know, 
that bad about themselves. You know, they could walk into East Lansing and probably win that game. They got the doors beat off them. And then it, mm-hmm. they just kept sliding and sliding. They finally got back on their feet at Indiana. And they're looking at the same situation that Michigan State is. You know, they look at their record and they say, this is a must win game. Like we got to, if we want to make the NCAA tournament, you know, they have less margin for error than Michigan State does because they have no brand, right? So, but they're certainly as talented. So uh, I think you have a, um, a game that'll probably be a pick 'em in Vegas. And I think despite Michigan State winning by 23, so just be careful betters out there who just uh, <laughs> who just maybe got legalized gambling. <laughs> and I would also note that um, you saw Geo Baker come to life. I don't know where he's been, but he's back. He, he had 19 points against Indiana. You hadn't seen well since their only other win uh, in Big Ten play, or excuse me, uh, prior uh, to the Illinois win, which was a 19-point performance against Purdue. I mean, they beat it. Maryland. He had 15 points. They kind of go as Geo Baker goes. He was held in check against Michigan State. He's utterly a no-show. Um, I think he's the other piece that at Michigan State needs to keep an eye on. And it seems like he's been there forever for that, for what it's worth. So, um, yeah, this is a this is a must-win game. Programs are feeling it. Uh, Michigan State's at a bit of a disadvantage because Rutgers just played. They've not been this, this break, but who knows? Maybe the break's exactly what the Spartans needed, as you indicated. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, this team, uh, it's nerve-wracking for a fan. I mean, you know, to, this team wasn't exactly the most mentally strong team going into this, and now this is as big of a mountain as you can possibly uh, you know, have to climb. So uh, again, Rutgers is certainly going to be fresher or maybe not fresher, but more sharp one would think. So I don't know, big, big, big game um, coming up here on the 28th. Now, another game this week uh, on the 31st is at Ohio state, number 13, Ohio state who just won a game again at Wisconsin. This is one of only at this point in time, three remaining games that MSU has against ranked teams two of them being against this Ohio State team, the other the season finale against Michigan. Um, and that's without any games that are getting rescheduled, I believe. Um, so needless to, well, yeah, I mean, that can obviously change week to week, but just, just painting the picture here moving forward. But mm-hmm. as you look at this game, this is uh, a prime opportunity. Um, I think when you look at, you know, like I said, the last 10 games, uh, you only have a handful of chances to add that premier win to your wins, plural, to your resume. And this is this is one of them. I mean, Ohio State is is on a hot streak here. Like I said, they climbed all the way to number 13 after beating Wisconsin on the road this past weekend. Um, and it's not a bad team. I mean, it's a team that has their top three scorers are really the ones that, that do all the damage. It's Dwayne Washington Jr., E.J. Liddell, and Justice Suing. Uh, all of them averaging double digits, Liddell and Washington Jr., each over 14 and a half points a game um, really kind of, kind of doing it all that when I look at this team um, it's also deeper than your average Ohio state team. I know when you think about, when you think about Ohio state uh, I don't know. I always just think like, okay, there's going to be six guys. I mean, really their, their biggest rotations that I ever remember are seven is the eighth guy is a fringe guy. Mm -hmm. And now, this team has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players averaging over 10 minutes a game. And that's something. I mean, that really is, that's a lot, uh, especially for an Ohio State team, uh, like I said, that is usually much, much thinner than that. So you're going to get more depth from this team than you're used to seeing. Um, one thing to keep an eye on, though, and this strikes me as not that abnormal for Ohio State, again, not a lot of great um shooters from distance on this team uh in terms of people that have taken a significant amount of shots really only Dwayne Dwayne Washington and our a name you Justin Justin Arms Kyle Arms little brother Uh, yes he's shooting over 50 percent yeah kid's a gunner um a sharpshooter at that and uh he's he's that's why he's on the floor point blank um, so, but yeah, one, you mentioned Dwayne Washington Jr. One of my favorite asides is that Foster Lawyer played uh, for Clarkson High School 
and played Grand Rapids Christian in the state championship um, his his junior year. And it, on Grand Rapids Christian was Xavier Tillman and Dwayne Washington Jr. And Foster and Lawyer ate their shit up. Like he <laughs> beat the brakes off of Grand Rapids Christian alone, alone. He did it. And now I just can't help but like remember that game and be like, is Xavier Tillman's playing in the NBA right now? Like playing <laughs> for an actual team that is competent. Dwayne Washington Jr. is the best player on Ohio State's team and they're ranked number 13. What happened? <laughs> like, how did that happen? What happened between then and now to Foster Lawyer? That's what I want to know. Like, what the hell? Like, what is what's going on? Like, how did can any I, of that can take I, place? Can I jump in? It's Absolutely. A, it's a it's a strength and conditioning thing. This is it's nothing against Foster Lawyer. Dwayne Washington Jr. and Xavier Tillman's bodies were capable of much more. <laughs> I think is where we. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Xavier's out there killing it for Memphis, which is so much fun to see. And then, like you said, Dwayne Washington's over here averaging, leading Ohio State in scoring. I mean, he's the only other three-point shooter, like I said, with any significant amount of attempts from what I can tell, that is shooting He's shooting 38.5%, which is obviously great. Uh, Ohio State is not built that much differently than they usually are. They don't have the commanding front court presence that they've, uh, you know, had in, in the past. But... Um, it's a good team, obviously, and they're on a bit of a hot streak. So this is a great opportunity for Michigan State to go on the road um, and hopefully get a win. I mean, th- this week has the potential to be disastrous or great for MSU. I mean, that's just but that's just bottom line, and that's going to be every single week from here on out. But uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, I'm, I'm glad they're playing Rutgers before they're playing Ohio State. You have the opportunity to knock some rust off against the team you feel confident playing against before you got to go to Columbus, which is a place that MSU always has a tough time. Unfortunately for Michigan State, this is the soft part of the schedule. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> you know, I'm, well, you know, maybe this is the hardest one of the next four, but, you know, you mentioned Rutgers, um, who has – it all against on the line right now. They need the win. You go at Ohio State, as you mentioned, ranked in the top 15. Then home against Nebraska. Who took Michigan State to the brink? You know, you can say it was a comfortable win, but it wasn't. It was an eight-point game the entire time. That's mm-hmm. too close against a bad Nebraska team. And then home against Penn State. I think you got to break the schedule up into games of like pods of four at this point. And, um, and that's with no hoping that there's no more breaks in the schedule because of COVID, but who's to say what happens at other places too. Right. So mm-hmm. every game is a, you know, that we get to watch is a blessing and, and I suppose a curse for, for people's eyes, but uh, enjoy, enjoy it because, you know, as we saw, you can go weeks without it and it, and it does suck. So, um, but yeah, these next four, it, it's going to determine how important the next, uh, games are right because then there's some serious tests coming up yeah i mean i I think if you're going to break it down into you know chunks of four four two and again this is this is assuming iowa indiana illinois and michigan don't happen i get a feeling they're going to do every single thing in their power to make as many of those games happen like you said whether it's postponing the tournament working things in in a different place whatever it is I wouldn't be surprised if at least one or two of those happen. But knowing what we know, we know these 10 games are happening. If you're going to break it down, and, and none of those are going to get rescheduled with any time between these next four. Right? I mean, maybe one between Nebraska and Penn State. But assuming these are the next four that happen in that order, I think you got to go three and one. You have to go – honestly, if you have to go either four and oh or three and one. The only loss that when you look at these four games that you cannot take some type of reputational or – um, uh, resume type of hit on uh, is losing at Ohio State. I mean, listen, Rutgers, again, clearly a better Rutgers team than they've been, um, but not a great team right now. I mean, I mean at the same caliber of MSU or below. You lose that game, they're now above you in whatever rankings you're looking for, or whatever standing, whatever seeds, bubble, bracketology, they're probably ahead of Michigan State. They might even be right now. Um, you, know, but you, you you can get away with losing to Ohio State, but 
that's it. You can't lose to Nebraska at home. You can't lose to Penn State at home. You can't lose to Rutgers again, or, you know, for the first time this year. So ever, ever, preferably, um, they've never, you lost. can't lose those. Yeah. This would be a bad time to start. So you got to <laughs> win those four. If you win those four, listen, if you even go three and one, you're sitting here at 11 and five or, you know, more preferably 12 and four. And you look at the last six games and you think, okay, you know, we can, maybe afford to slip once in here and actually um, comfortably get in. But you you got to do the work before then, before you can even start having those conversations. And that all starts Thursday. I think the thing that gets kind of difficult is I'm, I'm looking at the, the schedule because I'm starting to see, I think some of these games might be getting rescheduled soon. Um, but I, but when Michigan State lost out on the opportunity to play at Iowa, unless you lose by like 30, it doesn't matter if you lose. It can mm-hmm. it can only help you if you win, right? You just can't get yep. absolutely embarrassed because losing at Iowa City to a you know top five team or whatever they're ranked right now, everyone everyone knows you know they have a national player of the year candidate. Like it doesn't hurt you in the eyes of the NCAA tournament committee to lose. Right. Losing the opportunity is worse. So that's where, you know, now you're facing, as you mentioned, a bunch of games where the tournament committee would look at it and definitely fault you for losing as they should. So, um, yeah, you lose those opportunities for to make a big splash. That That's where it hurts. So, um, you know, hopefully these games, they get rescheduled. We'll see um, when and, and what will happen is it'll become very much like an NBA schedule if it does. Like you're going to start to see some jam packed weeks um, and we'll be hanging out with you on, on uh, the twitter.com a lot more, I'm guessing. Yeah. Got a feeling we'll be a little bit more active. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, we're, this, this one, this pod's going to be a little shorter than, than usual, but um, I think we know what needs to be done. I'm, I, a lot more to come next week. I'm sure after these two games, we'll either be, just literally sitting on recording this, setting things on fire in our respective homes, or we'll just be actually talking about basketball one way or the other. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Any parting thoughts, John? Um, You know what? Um, You're probably going to have a better year than Mike Tressel did last year. (laughs) And look how great it's turned out for him. So stay positive, folks. You know, yeah. Hey, heads up, guys. Plenty of opportunity for us to win and do some great things here. That's right. I agree, John. I like that. Positive parting message. Thanks. Um, all right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin, and we will catch you next week. See you.